I've never asked Mike Gallagher this, but he cut the clip where it says you're handsome. And it does self-deprecate at the end, but I noticed that you still found a way to work in that you're handsome. And I'm just curious why you went with that clip. I'm curious after 194 episodes, why this is just coming up now. It's a good question. still the same open No, 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 no. No, no, no. It's actually, to be fair, it's actually one of my favorite sound bites of the entire open. Oh, okay. Um, besides listening to myself, of course, who loves me more than me? So, uh, but yeah, I, I've, I've always enjoyed it because the right amount of scruff I think is solid yeah. for that. So I, that part fits, and I think you're a handsome guy. I'm not arguing oh, that whatsoever. I, I, I'm just saying I just found it interesting that you were able to find that clip all in one. And did you get the clip because a you find yourself handsome and scruffy, or just you were looking for the scruffy? It was a little bit of both. I wanted to bring myself up a bit after all the tearing down. You know, at least have that one little nugget in the open where I'm just like, all right, I do still have some redeeming quality. But the scruff I enjoyed because, and I think that that was like a, you know, the celebrity back and forth where they would like insult each other one after another. And it was Mm. like a sit down face to face and you had to try not to laugh. That was from one of those. And I think that the guy was talking about like uh, Ryan Reynolds or. Some ridiculously good-looking dude. So like not David Brad Spade. Pitt, maybe. No, not David Spade, no. And so I was like, yeah, all right. Like, I bring this out a little bit. And, uh, you know, my scruff varies on a day-to-day basis. So, anyway, that's where that came from. I am thinking about changing the open, but I'm definitely leaving that clip in, especially now since you called me handsome on the show. Yeah, there you go. All awesome. right. Now, I, I just want to start everybody's day off good because we have basketball. Men's basketball is going to happen Saturday. I know there was a cancellation of the UNCA game. We'll have basketball against UAB. It'll be the home opener for the men. It's also the home opener for head coach Brittany Zell in the women's program. They'll host Presbyterian, which was on the fritz there for a second. Looked like it might be canceled. They held on. So a lot of things going on. It's 2020. We're going to get basketball in. Pretty excited about it. New wrinkle this year. Just, I mean, let's just call it what it is. Just some money saving and some things to try to help the department. Mike's going to do uh, TV as much as he can of men's basketball. I'll be doing TV as much as women's basketball, and I say this lovingly to everybody. Please tune out the TV and tune in the radio and sync it up because for the most part you may not get what you think you get out of myself and Mike Gallagher during those TV broadcasts. And all cards on the table will be professionals. We're pros. We've been doing this a long time. And we'll try to be as neutral. I'm not going to say we'll be 100% neutral. But certainly if you're expecting some of the screaming calls you heard on the open from me <laughs> uh, for women's basketball on a 8 uh, nothing run. Now, a game winner is going to get a game, game winner. winner. Yeah, game right. winner is going to get a game winner. But on an 8 nothing run where I may lose my mind, I'm probably not going to lose my mind like that. Probably the same way. I could be calling Will Wade, Willie Wade. Uh, no, the no, no, I probably won't be doing that anyway. If you come across Trina Patterson, it's not going to be Trina E or 
if you're Jackie Carson, stop Jackie. No, no, no. I've known no Jackie for years, yeah, and yeah. I'm afraid of Jackie. So, okay. uh, no, no. Kylie. There's not a lot of good ones on women's basketball anyway in the Southern Conference. Kylie, Jackie, Trina. We, well, they have Ys or yeah. IEs or something on in them already, so that, it doesn't work for, for what I do. So, uh, we will be doing the TV, and again, I encourage you to tune into the radio, sync it up, and if you need help with that, you can tweet us directly. We've got some instructions we can help. Yeah, if you want uh, the buck call, that. for sure. It's yeah, that, I, and it's, it's obviously, I think, for the fans tuning into the podcast. And we do have SoCon fans around the league that don't, and they probably need to watch the TV broadcast for obvious reasons because they're probably not going to agree with some of the takes we have there. When we get on the show here, we try to back away from that and try not to wear blue and gold goggles as much as we can. But we do. We get it. But, we, you know, certainly we do. But it's a situation where we try to. So very excited about having basketball. Doubleheader, noon for the women, 4 p.m. for the men. I'm going to let, – let's start um, – with a little bit of tie-in because the last time the Bucks men's basketball team lost a home opener. Would you like to take a guess when that was? What year? Just what year? I can't imagine that it happened under Steve Forbes. I know there were some tough years at the end of the Murray Bartow era, so I'm not going to go as far back as, say, a 2010 NCAA tournament appearance, although I do know that's the last time that ETSU and UAB played. And UAB actually won by 15, which I was surprised about. I think UAB won 25 games that year. The Bucks made the tournament. So probably somewhere in between there, 2011, 2011. 2013. It's close. It was good math the way you went to that. But Working my way Bucks there. actually had, had a pretty decent team, 2013-14, lost November 13th to Moorhead State. The head coach you're right is Murray Bartow. Guess who's going to be in the building? ETSU UAB. Murray Bartow. He's going to be the color analyst for UAB Radio. Wow. I'm jacked up about it. We've exchanged texts. I'm trying to convince him to uh, – I think he's a little leery right this segment. I'm trying to convince him to do just a quick pregame segment with yeah. me. I think it would be great. It would be awesome. Uh, me and Coach spent a lot of years together, all his years here we spent together. So um, got to know him quite a bit over the years. We still text and talk quite a bit. So very excited. I know Coach Forbes led the charge with trying to get Coach Bartow back. It had been long enough. Bridge gap. Celebrate the fact that he led uh, and still has led ETSU to the most NCAA tournament appearances of any coach in ETSU history. So certainly excited about that. Let's talk about the team, though. His former player, um, and technically I guess it was his dad, Gene, was the head coach of Andy Kennedy. Then when Coach Bartow took over for his dad, Murray took over for Gene, Andy Kennedy was on that staff. And you look at Andy Kennedy's career, he goes from an assistant player, a great player. I, I'm going to go over a lot of stats once we get to the broadcast. But – Great player for UAB. Five years in assistant under Murray Bartow. Then he goes for Bob Huggins at Cincinnati uh, for a long stretch, maybe seven, eight years. Then he takes over at Cincinnati one year. Then he goes to Ole Miss for a better part of a decade. And now it is alma mater at UAB. He has won. He was the number one seed in the NCAA tournament at Cincinnati, uh, taking over for Bob Huggins, um, who unfortunately, Bob, uh, I think had the DUI that, that got him canned from Cincinnati. Of course, Bob clearly didn't land far uh in West Virginia, led them to the Final Four. He's not home. You know, certainly Bob's been great. He's a good guy to learn under. Andy Kennedy sort of made his own path. ETSU's faced Andy Kennedy twice, both not good outcomes for ETSU, 21 and 22-point defeats. One year it was the Bucks uh, won 24 games, ended up going to the semifinal of the CIT and, and lost to Iona. And then 2012 was the year where they lost. Uh, it was the Cooley-DeBose year, which they lost two or three guys uh, early in the season. Uh, Jarvis Jones was academically ineligible till his senior year was academically ineligible till past the fall. So the first game he was back 
was against Ole Miss. Bucks lost 77-55. So a couple tough losses for ETSU versus Andy Kennedy. A little bit different. The talent gap I don't think will be as much, if any, from UAB, ETSU, as opposed to Ole Miss. I mean, if you remember the days of Marshall Henderson, I mean, he went off against ETSU for 22. That's what I remember Andy Kennedy from, is trying to just keep Marshall Henderson from running into the crowd and punching a fan or just doing whatever Marshall Henderson was feeling like doing on a day to day. He's 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 a little out there. Certainly was a a head case at Ole Miss, but certainly could score the basketball. Oh, it was a lot of fun. And and he did against ETSU. He had a couple shots that were quite ridiculous. And uh, and in the first matchup, it was Reginald Buckner and Chris Warren really led the show. So um, ETSU does have – some uh, uh, games against Andy Kennedy. They have never beaten Ole Miss, and they've never beaten UAB in the three meetings that they've had. Last time they beat UAB was the first time Coach Bartow, and this is where I come full circle of the story, it was his first time back in his dad's arena, the Gene Bartow Arena, when we went down there, and I remember him sitting there talking to me about, you know, they're going to call my name out, and I'm not real sure how this is going to go because, you know, he was let go, he was fired at UAB, a lot of controversy because of what his dad had done for the program. They get through the introductions. Mike Davis was the head coach on the other side. And all of a sudden, they say Murray Barto, and he got a standing ovation. No, that's true. And I remember him being a little emotional and waving. It was the way it is. That was the plan coming back here. They were going to just not do a whole lot until it was game time. Hey, by the way, first media timeout, we want to welcome back head coach Murray Barto. He's doing color. And they were going to stand away and everybody, you know, get kind of just – the other thing I remember about the game at UAB was Charles Barkley walking in on the halftime speech mm. for Coach Bartow. As he's sitting there and, you know, he's sitting there talking and the players are kind of not listening. And Murray's like, what's going on? Turns around and looks and there's Charles Barkley. Goes, uh, Coach, I don't say anything. I just want to say hello, Murray. Blah, blah, blah. Shake his hand and say, <laughs> I'd say hello to your dad and walks out. Wow. So if you're Charles Barkley, you can interrupt halftime speeches. No doubt. That's all I'm saying. No doubt. And Andy Kennedy, who's now, of course, the first-year head coach after taking, I think it was two years off to be on SEC Network, was an analyst, uh, sidelined, did studio, did in-game. Uh, he's got them playing well. You know, this is a team that I haven't seen a line yet. I'd expect him to be four to six point favorites coming in. That's just a guess. I don't know if you have a better guess than that. Uh, you're better with the spreads than I am, but um, I think that's about where it will be. They're one of, as of last night, 12 teams in the country to play five or more games and not have a loss. And they're doing a lot of things well, specifically on the defensive side of the ball. Now, it does come with the caveat of saying, and you talked with Coach Shea about this in the coaches show on Monday night. They haven't played essentially anyone. The four Division One opponents that they have played combined for 33 wins last year. And they're from some not-so-impressive um, and prevalent conferences around the college basketball scene. Uh, they also have one 91 win that was against Tuskegee uh, on Wednesday, a 25-point win. So all five wins by 20 or more, but they haven't played teams that you'll find still playing basketball in March. So I don't know who I'd rather be entering this contest. You have ETSU, who had your three games against some very good competition at the Gulf Coast Showcase, and you found some holes in your game, knew what you needed to work on over the next 10, 11 days leading into tomorrow's contest, or would I rather be UAB, who is riding a high, right? I mean, Andy Kennedy's off to a great start. They haven't really been challenged, but when they get hit in the face, how are they going to react? Because the CTSU team at home, with all the preparation, is going to be hungry to make a difference. I've been just very impressed um, by UAB and going back through their history and all of the incredible coaches that they've had, and Andy Kennedy hopes to be the next one. It was the Bartos, Gene and Murray, then Mike Davis, you mentioned, of course, he was at Indiana before he went to UAB, then went to Texas Southern and went to four NCAAs in six years, and now is at Detroit Mercy. Then it was Jared Haas, who's now at Stanford, uh, and Rob Hassan over four years. He's the only 
coach in UAB history to not make an NCAA tournament in his time there. He was shown his walking papers. That's when Andy Kennedy comes in. And, and they've got some talent back at the top. So they lost nine of their 15 players from last year. But Jalen Benjamin, Taven Lovin, Tyreek Scott Grayson, those are the three leading scorers from last year's team this year. They're second, fourth, and sixth because they brought in some real talent to infuse some offense and, as it has turned out, some defensive muscle into this team as well. Well, Quan Jackson, who is leading the team in scoring and rebounding, is a guy that gave ETSU a problem. ETSU played Georgia Southern, if you remember the home and home first inside Freedom Hall, then back down in Statesboro, Georgia. Bucks won both those games. And really, Jackson, as a freshman, was starting but really didn't quite get his feel. Looked much better in game two. Didn't shoot the ball particularly well as far as 5-16, to 16, but, boy, he was impressive uh, getting to the rim, elevating up, shooting the shot. Rebounding because he's six, it's like 6'4". Six, I think he's 185 pounds, and he was probably less than that at that point. But I remember him just being an animal on the glass and with reckless abandon going to grab rebounds. And so I, I expect he would continue to do the same thing to do that. And then I think the other thing they did, they added an assistant coach and Ryan Cross did Andy Kennedy. And when he brought him from Louisiana Monroe, they brought a grad transfer and Michael Ertle, who is a left-handed shooter who is averaging 13 points per contest, who is injected left-handed score, uh, who certainly can fill it up from the outside. And so I think those two key pieces scoring-wise has helped and then the big man from Hoover, Alabama, right? Trey Jameson, who was at Clemson. And, and sparing, it's one of those deals where, again, it was kind of sparingly at Clemson. A couple points, a couple rebounds, playing nine, ten minutes. All of a sudden, he goes UAB. And now he's averaging ten points per contest. He's about 20 minutes per game. He's seven foot. And so, certainly, he's added some. So, they've added some extra scoring and size to already some key pieces. And Andy Kennedy has proven over time he knows how to coach him up. Yeah, Jameson is top five in the nation in blocks. I mean, he's got 19 of them. Like you said, a seven-footer, 260. He's not one of these slight seven-footers that you can kind of bully down low. This is going to be a real challenge for ETSU in the paint. And as a team, 11th in the nation in blocks. They're also 13th in the nation in steals per game, 15th in the nation in scoring defense, 36th in the nation in defensive rebounds per game, 5th in the nation in field goal percentage defense, 10th in the nation in three-point field goal percentage defense, 12th in the nation in scoring margin, 13th in the nation in turnover margin. So they are turning opponents over. They are stout in the paint. They also have some fast hands on the perimeter to be able to take the ball away. Uh, A couple of things they don't do very well, they're not shooters. Jalen Benjamin shoots it, but outside of him, the rest of the team is shooting it at 28%, just 16 of 58, and they're 245th in the nation in three-pointers made per game. They don't really share it a whole lot. It's a lot of individual basketball, just 9.6 assists per game, and they'll also send you to the line. That being said, while they send you to the line on their side of the ball, they also get to the line a lot, top 10 in the nation in both free throws made and free throws attempted. So ETSU is going to have to play some disciplined defense without fouling. I think they're going to have to force the issue, try and get Trey Jamison in foul trouble, uh, try and get his seven-foot presence out of the paint and off the court early in the game to be able to open up uh, that kind of mid-range, and then as you get within 10 feet of the basket as well, that'll make, I think, the offensive operation a whole lot easier for ETSU. So there is a lot of talent here. Whenever you can go from your top three scores were one, two, and three on your team to two, four, and six, you know that you've added some quality. And I think the, again, alarming thing is that, yes, 
offensively because offensively they in the past have been a very prolific team but the fact that they are doing it defensively and locking down that's going to make things challenging for ETSU and I will say it once and a thousand times this year I think Ladarius Brewer is going to be a big key on the offensive side what can Silas Adeke do to neutralize Jamison he's facing a big task of course Damari Monsanto is someone that we'll talk about later in bold predictions because I have one for Damari Monsanto but this is a turn the corner game for him and if he can turn that corner despite being four to six point underdogs as I'd expect ETSU is I think they have a real chance to win this game get their first I'd say a real quality win of the year. Nothing wrong with Middle Tennessee State, but they are not the team that you and Kevin Brown thought. They are the team that they appeared to be last year with eight wins. This is a UAB team that's going to win a heck of a lot more games than eight. They're projected fourth in Conference USA. I think they have a chance to be that top three, top four team in that league, which is 14 teams big. So this could be a statement game, not only for the team, but for Damari Monsanto, for a Silas Adeke, if he can have some success. Uh, I'm really excited because this is going to be a high-level basketball game. One thing before I get into the assistant coaches, because I find that interesting, uh, are you ever going to stop bringing up Middle Tennessee State for me and Kevin? No, Brown? I'm not. It's like no. 17 consecutive. I'm going to bring up Darius Brewer okay. and Middle Tennessee State equally this year. All right, so it, here's all going with assistant coaches. I find it interesting. Phil Pearson was assistant coach for Bob Hoffman at Mercer for a couple of years. Sidney Ball was like the lead assistant for Scott Padgett at Sanford for six years. He's a UAB grad. Two guys that played a lot of games against ETSU. Now, again, it's some different players. But still, style of play, some other things I think they can know. But the bigger advantage, I think, Turner Battle. Got the scout. Long-time assistant coach at UAB, or three or four years. I don't know about a long time. But in coaching world, two, three years assistant coach is a long time. But he certainly knows the personnel that's back. He's got the scout. He's probably motivated, right? That whole staff was let go. I think so. Certainly you would think uh, ETSU would know the ins and outs. Plus, ETSU played Quan Jackson. So a lot of the key pieces, now they didn't play early, they didn't play Jameson. So we'll see how. That shakes out, of course. You know, I can't imagine a scout for a seven-footer being too different from seven-footer to seven-footer. It could be. Who knows? But we'll see how that plays out. But the, sort of the game within a game, you see it more, I think, in baseball, and you would agree, and, and some things, just sort of inner workings of things. I think the game within a game with the coaching staffs for this one is going to be intriguing to me. One final thing for me, I want to go back to the coaches' show on Monday. Now, this is the stuff I really like about the coaches' show. You and Coach Shea talked about – what ETSU needs to do differently on the offensive end. And he talked about guys getting the ball and looking around and maybe not thinking the other guy is going to pass the ball back to him. So he has to get a shot up. And that leads to some poor decisions. You're going to have more contested shots. You're going to have hands in your face. You're going to not be working with the other four on the court as much as you need to to get the best shot. So that's going to lead to lower percentages, less points. Very simple train of thought there. To me, that just says these guys have to trust each other. And that's difficult when you've only played – Three games, you've had a limited offseason. Everything's so different this year. There's a lot of things to overcome when you're talking about trusting the other four players on the court, especially when the person that you're going to trust the most because you've been with them your entire life is you. You're going to trust you because you know that you can go out and score. Demario Monsanto, 28 points per game at uh, down in, what was it, Western High School in uh, Pembroke Pines? He was the county player of the year down in Broward. I mean, that's a stout basketball county. So it's no small feat. Uh, Ladarius Brewer and Ty Brewer, they have – proven college experience where they have scored double digits, average double digits per game 
at mid-major schools. They're coming here thinking, well, I, I should be the guy. I should get my shots. Um, and I like that for Ladarius. Uh, and Ty's been an efficient offensive player. It's really no knock on those guys in particular. But point being, the larger issue is you have to trust those that are on the court with you and that will take a little bit of time. I'm hoping that it's improved over these last nine or ten days because without trust and without playing as a unit, there are going to be some long games on the offensive end for this team. I totally agree. I think the one thing he said in Coach Show that stood out to me was the fact that he made a comment like, hey, I have to convince the guys that when they pass the ball, can get back to them. Right. Right? <laughs> it's like one of those things where it's like, oh, i got to take my shot because the ball won't come back to me. And he's got to, you know, that's one thing ETSU was great at last year. Ball movement, getting extra pass, extra shots. They've been working on that. They've got better over the three games. How the layoff lead into this game against UAB. 4 o'clock tip time, 3.30 pregame show here on the Buccaneer Sports Network. We'll talk women's basketball versus Presbyterian. After this time out, you hear a word from Buccaneer Sports Network. This is Sanderson Sidekick. Over the last 70 years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks. But we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Bright Ridge to match our vision, to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on, embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Bright Ridge, new name, renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com. Jay Sandos and the strapping Mike Gallagher back on Sandos and the sidekick. As Mike is not mentioned, by the way, that I am in shirt, tie. You look great. Coat. I did take coat off. Uh, the commissioner. I don't know if you know this is in uh, town today, and so we're going to try to chat with him and have that later on the podcast. Well, I hope for once that you do something in the best interest of the podcast and actually have him instead of just letting him come on and off campus like you did, I believe, the first time he was here and didn't get it. That's Start thinking about all of us. Right. That's fair. Yeah, it is a nice looking shirt and tie. Though. You got the tie clip too. That looks like it's like real yeah. steel. Like yeah. You well, when you're you know, again, as you've mentioned several times, to go out of your way to let everybody know how um, uh, slightly obese I am. That uh, <laughs> you, if you don't have tie clips and things, and things start going awry as I start to eat and other things, so I am not it's the one down, that chased so. Thanksgiving dinner with two subs and a brownie. And first of all, I do want to, as I went back and listened to that, okay, I do want to bring up. I'm very upset he didn't bring up the absurd amount of honey mustard I had on the side. So if we, I don't know, you know, if we could get a correction later, or if I, you could just turn on my mic while that's playing, and I just yell honey mustard at some point. That would be great. Honey mustard. Like the Seinfeld with Newman. Please, honey mustard. Yeah, after he eats the broccoli. Absolutely. Uh, former tennis player here at ETSU, by the way, speaking of strapping, is bringing back up the ugly sweater from last year. Yeah. I believe I was at Troy and the Bears in the taxi, the yeah. light blue. You can find it at Mike underscore Galley 21. I'll favorite it because it is just great. And she says, bringing back the ugly sweater from last year, do you think you can top it? Can Jay Sandoz top the Mike Gallagher ugly sweater from 2020? I mean, you, you can get a look at it right here. The what? beret, the purple yes. beret on the driving bear in the taxi. I can, but here's here's the only reason why. Because if I gave my wife the mission to find the hideous thing of all, because she's a huge, ugly Christmas sweater person. Okay. So when they have, like, the office parties with that, like, she doesn't just, like, you know, go in the mom's closet and regurgitate or whatever. I mean, it's a full-fledged go-to-stores, thrift or whatever, and find one. So if I gave her a mission 
Yes. If you're asking me to go get one, probably not. Do you want to talk about uh, Vanderbilt a little bit in the DTSU women's game? I do. Let's I do want to talk about Vanderbilt two. because, uh, one, I want to talk about women's basketball, which, by the way, home opener, high noon, big tip time, 1130, pregame show, Buccaneer Sports Network. Mike Gallagher will have the call. I want to talk about, because I watched it, and the first part, I was so excited because I'm a huge, as you are too, I'm a huge Shania Jackson fan. Yes. And I knew that Shania was, was just a matter of time to sort of get kind of going Got off to the quick start, couple buckets. You saw the confidence. Nine points, only ended up with nine points. Unfortunately, could have gone. Uh, nobody really got it going in the second half. But I thought playing that Tennessee game showed because coming out of the gate, I thought they were ETSU was ready to go. And I know was this the third straight different lineup? Correct, right? Three for three. I believe so. Yeah, because Courtney Moore was in this one, right? So the three for three, but. Still trying to find a little bit of pieces because they got some things going. There's some new pieces that need to get kind of go- – I still think it's uh, difficult. The first, the first two games are the same, sorry. Oh, were they? I thought yeah. Ja'Kai Davis made the start line of game two. Or she didn't start line of game one, too? I thought she not set up game right. two. Is it? No, you're right. Look yeah, at that. I mean, yeah, it's, almost like, it's almost like I pay attention and somebody does it. But I, I kind of feel like, again, there's just – there's some slight pieces they need to, to – to tinker in, but seven points, right? Halftime, seven point halftime deficit, similar to Tennessee, and again, sort of the start of the third quarter. The SEC, the bigger, the stronger, the more physical, all the things that come with a Power Five team. I think that's the only thing that's kind of hurt ETSU. That being said, I think playing those two games and then getting a Presbyterian team is right is exactly what the doctor ordered for this women's basketball program. I'm going to give you the bad news that's actually good news. This is going to sound terrible. If Brittany Zell's listening, this is going somewhere good. All you UTS women's basketball fans, don't jump through your listening devices and punch me in the face. 78 turnovers. 26 again. That's 78 number, the most in a three-game span for ETSU since the 2012-13 season. It's a lot of turnovers. No question. Brittany Zell will tell you right now that number needs to come down. Any basketball fan, if you're 26 a game, you know that that is not winning basketball. Elise Stafford. Preseason all-conference. Jasmine Sanders transferred from Troy, who can light it up, and I'm telling you that now. These struggles are not going to last. Yes, she will be a bit streaky. just so happens the season has started on a poor streak for Jasmine. 10 of 52, those two are combined from the field. That's under 20%. There's absolutely no way that that continues. Let me talk about the third quarter as well. I went back and looked at the last 55 third quarters and the first seven minutes within those for ETS. <laughs> Going back two years. Yes, it is. Well, I looked technically at the last two-plus season, back to the beginning of the 2018-19 season, but the last 55, this is going to be a little bit confusing, so try and follow me. You know how I like to get very deep into my conspiracy theories and statistics when it comes to women's basketball. There have been third-quarter woes, and you can just look last year. I think the Bucks were outscored by like 106 points in the third quarter. Worst quarter they had. The Bucs on Tuesday were outscored 13-3 to in the first seven minutes of the third quarter in Nashville. In the last 55 games dating back to early December 2018, the Bucs have put together a substantial and sustained run, and I'm defining that as six or more points to the better that was not overcome before the three-minute mark of the third quarter. So the other team would have to outscore ETSU by more than six points. If it was, if it was six, if it was eight, it would have to be more than eight, so on and so forth, before the three-minute mark of the third quarter came. Contrastingly, while getting just two runs like that over the last 55 games, the Bucks have had that happen against them 24 times. And the rest of those, I suppose that's 29 games, uh, it's been even at some point in that first seven minutes. So, long story short, 
basically what you're saying is, to summarize it, you've had two good starts to third quarters in the last 55 games, and you've had 24 that have gone against you. All that to say, those things are not good, right? You want to turn around turnovers. You're going to get better shooting from Jasmine Sanders and Elise Stafford. I know you have some stuff on Elise Stafford, too, because people want to hit the panic button early, but you look back to her history, and there's not necessarily cause to do so right now. And you want to have better third quarters. It's something that you haven't had the benefit of for the last two years, two calendar years. You're still one and two. And if you looked objectively at the beginning of the year, anybody around basketball, I think, would have said, you're going to be one and two. Maybe you would have found a couple people that said, you'll be 0-3 because Longwood's improved. They've got a lot, a lot back. So I think right now, and you'd probably find the Buck fan, and myself included, because as you remember, from my bold prediction on Monday, I said ETSU was going to win that game against Vanderbilt. And through the first half, I was feeling pretty good. You come out and do what you did in the first quarter, end the quarter on a 10-0 run. It's 17-13. to Second quarter, eh. But Vanderbilt wasn't looking like they were world beaters. They, they weren't looking like they were going to blow the Bucks out of the gym. Third quarter came along not good. Closed the game strong, 23-15. to 15. He outscored Vanderbilt by eight. Those three quarters, he outscored the Commodores by one. And then you take the third quarter, obviously it wasn't good. Just one quarter is all it was. But you're right where many thought you would be, even with all those things going against you. Can you imagine if the Bucks can just cut it down to 20 turnovers a game? If Elise and Jasmine just make 30% of their shots instead of 20%, 35%, because they're both very, very capable of that. And you actually have good starts at third quarters. I think that the Bucks, while it wasn't a pretty third quarter at Vanderbilt, that can't get lost in the bigger picture, the umbrella view, the perspective that ETSU is on track. And I, they have still looked good more than they have not looked good this year. Again, I'm going with the, with the doctor order because I feel like Presbyterian, and they've dealt with their own COVID issues, and they play Clemson. It's going to be a long layoff. They've got maybe one or two practices. ETSU at least is coming off. Some things you could take positively, Tennessee, Vanderbilt, trying to find some things. The one thing about Presbyterian is they have had trouble scoring, really, since they've entered Correct. The, the Division One era. And you look at Coach Sharp, and she's, it's, she's in her third year, 7-24, and 12-18. So she's trying to get things going in a positive direction. She's had to go – uh, a little bit out of the norm for Presbyterian, just looking through a lot of rosters. They've gone some JUCOs and transferred things that they haven't really done in the past before. And they've brought in a few new folks. They've got some returners. But still, it's a team that struggles to get to 60, 65 points. I think ETSU, which has struggled at least the first three games to kind of get there, I feel like this is a game in their own building with, uh, again, coming off some of the competition, having some con- – and I know sometimes it's hard – when you say loss, loss, you can build confidence. But I think Shania Jackson's a perfect example of that. I think you're seeing what Ja'Kai Davis has been able to do in three games. Now can you get Jasmine Sanders? Can you get Elise Stafford? Can you get a few others? Can you get those shots to go down? And then can you get a team that traditionally turns it over, can you get them to turn it over and get easy layups? Can Kyle Upton, can Carly Hooks, can they able to turn? And shock that Hooks doesn't have a steal yet. I'm actually – out of all the stats I was looking up, that was the one that thing that kind of shocked me because I thought for sure she would be up there. And she still may be. Again, it's three games in. She still could be amongst the leaders uh, on the CTSU basketball team for steals, but her not having one, I think, again, that changes in this contest. You know, I, I don't want to get into it because I have a separate bold prediction, but I do think ETSU um, will be ready to go in this one. I think they win the game. I think they win it going away. That's not going to be my bold prediction. i got something else, but – I do feel like this comes at the right time. I think ETSU is going to dominate turnovers, points off turnovers, rebounding, and I think they finally get some outside shots to drop. 
Presbyterian was minus 26 in their opener. It's the only game they played because, like you said, they've had some COVID issues. They have not been able to play in the last two weeks. This game was in jeopardy. Heck, both of our games tomorrow, ETSU men's and women's basketball, seemed in jeopardy at one point, thankfully being able to play both, which is always just the only thing you can hope for in 2020 when it comes to college basketball is just getting the games in, right? But uh, obviously the Bucks are going to look to make strides in those areas that you talked about. Um, but rebounding is an area I think that they're probably pretty happy with right now. Uh, and you have Presbyterian. They played Clemson. They lost by 45. So you knew rebounding against the Power 5, that was going to be difficult. But the Bucs, despite playing two Power 5s in the first three games, are plus two. Slim margin, but plus two on the boards this year. And that's Tennessee, who is giant always. Vanderbilt, who's out of the SEC. And then a Longwood team that they had a couple of players that could go inside and were athletes. And uh, Akila Smith is the first one that comes to mind. She had like seven rebounds in the first three or four minutes. A lot more on the offensive glass. Bucks came back and ended up being, I think it was plus 10 on the glass against Longwood. So rebounding, 100% agree. This is a team that is going to crash the glass from 1 to 13 on the roster. There's no doubt about that. And they are going to dominate Presbyterian in that category. You mentioned that the Blue Hose just don't score very much. They haven't cracked 60 points per game since they've been in Division One over an entire season, 60 points per game. Uh, they have not bettered that in 14 seasons. And turnovers are going to come down. There's no doubt about it. Turnovers is an area against Power Fives, although, ironically, the – most turnovers the Bucks had was against Longwood, a non-power five. That was game one, and you got to get people on the same page. I think that's something that ETSU men's and women's basketball are both still working on right now. Um, rebounding is going to be solid. There's no question. Uh, Presbyterian showed a real lack of uh, proficiency outside the arc. Uh, now, they're going to continue to shoot the ball. Uh, they're a lot like a Jasmine Sanders who's going to shoot herself out of a slump. Presbyterian was one of 28 from outside against Clemson. I mean, it was horrific. An ugly, ugly show from beyond the arc. But they're going to keep shooting it because that's what they do. They do have a lot back. I'd say they're kind of Longwood light if you're looking for a comparison. Um, both teams were 12 and 18 last year, both out of the Big South. I think Longwood won one more conference game than Presbyterian did. Uh, but they're similar teams in the sense of skill level, where they are in their maturation. Third-year head coach, much like with Longwood, and there's been improvement each year. And now can you make the jump in year three because that's generally – where the big improvement is looked for when it comes to you know head coaches taking over a program. So can you make that jump? If ETSU can do what you said, cut down those turnovers, still be as good as they are in the glass, and get the performances from, yes, Ja'Kiah Davis, yes, Makai Dowdell, but I talked to Brittany Azell yesterday and kind of floated the theory that the three best players on the team right now are those two, and then Amaya Adams who's 8 of 14. We don't talk about her a lot because she does a lot of unsung things. She's not going to score, you know, 15, 20 a game. She's not going to put up huge stats, really in any category, but she will guard the best player on the other team. She will be efficient with her field goal chances, and she will be that Swiss Army knife that Coach Zell talks about, do a lot of different things for you. Uh, those three are who I floated, and she said she absolutely agrees. So Shania Jackson and Elise Stafford, what were likely to be your two best players coming back, they're not on that list. Shania is making strides. Elise is going to here at some point, um, and I think this could definitely be the game. This is where we're going to start to find out what ETSU women's basketball is going to be this year because you knew essentially you're going to be one and two after three games if you took a poll of people around college basketball. Now you've got Presbyterian at Davidson, home to Appalachian State. Those are teams, and Davidson's off to a rough start, so even more than in a regular year, that's a team that's probably going to be closer to your level, uh, even though they're in the A-10, uh, than even a, a normal year. These three games, and then you got the 91 before conference play, uh, these three games are going to tell you where you are and what you need to work at. Really important ones for coaches all squad. Yeah, I think 
I agree. This this well, it's a three game stretch. I think ETSU has a chance to get right. Uh, if I could quote my good buddy Kevin Tiggs, uh, I think they got a great opportunity against Presbyterian. Pick up a win, get some confidence. We go back on the road at Davidson, right? Then come back home for another home game. So I'm thinking this game is an opportunity to put points on the board, get a few of the shooters and scorers involved, and be able to get ETSU in the win column, even up the record before they go to the Friday game at Davidson. So I think this is going to be a nice win for ETSU. That being said, the game has to be played, right? It's, it's easy to sit here. We break our numbers. We look at the things. We do whatever. But ultimately, people got to show up and play, and I think that uh, it will happen. Noon, tip time, Brooks Gym. And, again, we'll have it for you. On the Buccaneer Sports Network, 11.30 pregame show, ETSU versus Presbyterian. We'll have more on that game, more on the men's game, and our bold prediction segments. But when we come back, what are we doing? Fail down. Fail down. Oh, it's coming back. You know what's a fail down? Me forgetting what segment it is. Can we add that to the fail down? Drive this time out. Santo Sidekick on the Buccaneer Sports Network. First fail. Somewhere out there, a math teacher's school loans were forgiven, allowing her to focus on paying it forward, not back. Somewhere out there, a parent is breathing easier child's college education will cost a little less. Somewhere out there, a Hope Scholarship just helped a student open the door to a brighter future. And they all have players like you to thank for the $5.5 billion raised for education. Because every time someone plays the Tennessee Lottery, education wins. The Tennessee Education Lottery. Game-changing, life-changing fun. It's going to be odd because it's been an, it's, 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 How tall are you again? About five eight, five nine. Okay. How much you weigh? Not a good day, like a one fifty two. Looks to me like you have brown hair. Uh, brownish black. Okay. Color eyes. Well, they were brown. They're more hazel now. Okay. And you'd consider yourself a white male. I believe it's the last time I checked. Okay, because I'm very concerned because I just got an ETSU alert. There's an armed and dangerous white male, 5'8", 150, brown, blue hair, and glasses. This is unbelievable. I'm. What, what have you done? <laughs> so we record this, this show. This is disturbing. This we record the show on these computers that are just sitting here on our desks. And uh, during the break, easily the first, first fail. Maybe the biggest fail. I think I've just received an alert that I am armed and dangerous. And on campus, like this is nothing to joke about. Obviously, I oh, think no, everything. No, this is not fine. a test. This is not. I a think test. everything's fine. Like no one's running around freaking out or anything. So I, I hope everything's all right on campus because we're locked in our little studio and everything. But there definitely was a pop up on both of our screens that said five eight hundred fifty pounds, brown hair, white male with glasses, armed and dangerous. I believe this is just the second time since I've worked here that we've actually had one of these. And so it'd be. I'm on record on saying this in the sidekick. I have done nothing wrong. I just want to put that I mean, in, in fairness, at the point in time that it came up on the show, you were sitting next to me, so if you did something between I have a witness. You, you, I mean, you could be Flash, right? Isn't that the super fast guy, dude? I should know that. My kids probably watch that show. but we are going to be wearing the Clark Kent because of the glass. Oh, okay. Superman. All right, other than the first spell, let's do a true first spell. Okay. Yeah. Greg Williams, who oh, is yes. a market and noted good defensive coach. I remember him most for his time on the Saints. 
Bounty Gate, of course, I remember that because the Minnesota Vikings were victims of Bounty Gate. Brett Favre across the body, NFC Championship game, closest chance we've had to a Super Bowl in God only knows how long. He was a defensive coordinator on those New Orleans Saints teams, but he's been a defensive coordinator many different places for many different teams. I'm not sure he's ever made a call as bad as the one that he made for the New York Jets. How the Jets are this bad with Greg Williams as a defensive coordinator, or he was a defensive coordinator, I will never understand. To me, it has to be Adam Gase, but instead, Adam Gase relieves Greg Williams of his duties after a very mysterious and odd, almost feels like they're tanking for Trevor Lawrence, a mysterious and odd zero blitz call leaves everybody in man-to-man coverage with 10 seconds left from, like, the 45-yard line. I think I saw, and the Raiders, of course, had a bomb to Henry Ruggs, and they steal a victory uh, in New York. I'm not sure I've ever seen as mystifying of a play call in that situation. I think ESPN Stats and Info had it in, like, 235 similar situations. Again, I don't know how they get this info. It's pretty incredible. And they had a really cool graphic that showed, like, the play and everything. It was awesome. Uh, 235 similar situations. No one has ever blitzed six or more. And Greg Williams sent the house, left everybody in man coverage. Derek Carr to Henry Ruggs in the end zone, touchdown. Jets still winless at 0-12. Greg Williams fired the next day. Adam Gase admitted that he probably should have called the timeout and asked Greg Williams what in the heck he was doing. Is Greg Williams the fall guy for Adam Gase's horrific New York Jets team? Bigger fail, Adam Gase firing Greg Williams for something that ultimately is Adam Gase's responsibility, or is it the play call for Williams in the first place? Man, I like that, 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 is a, that is a good question. Adam um, Gase is a fraud! I, yes, and Adam Gase isn't going to be there. Um, Why is he still there? Well, I, just, I don't think the Jets fire coaches mid-year, right? There's, it's like the Bears, right? There, there's a couple organizations that you know that you, you know, book it! You can slap a table whatever you want, but there are organizations that do not fire coaches mid-year. They just wait in the year. You know, there's no sense. I mean, what are we going to do? You know, there's some that do. There's some that don't. If something got bad enough, maybe culture-wise, they're, they're, I could see that. But, no, um, I think the fail is firing Williams. I mean, what, at this point, what – I mean, if you get the call right and you have one win, right, let's just say he doesn't do it and they get their only win, Great. So you're still fighting Jacksonville, right, for the number one spot. You're still doing it. I don't. I don't know what you accomplished. But are you saving your job at? Because you're. You don't have a job, Adam. I call him Adam. I don't feel like calling him coach. I mean, you're not going to have a job. He's not you, much of a coach. And you, you're not a quarterback guru because I mean you've just proven it over time. So I'm just curious why you fire that the inevitable because it just doesn't do that. That's my thing. It, it does not get. Did it save face with the Jets fans? No. Did it save face with the national media? No. Did it save face within your team? No. So I don't know I don't know why. That's the bigger fail to me. The, the call, it's a fail. Fine. Bad call, sure. I mean, you've won. It's sort of like when Houston Roman Crown went for two that one time to try to go up nine, and they missed it, and they were up seven. Then they scored, uh, I can't remember, was it Tennessee scored a touchdown, and they were able to win in overtime. Okay, fine. You're not going anywhere, so you're trying to do something outside the box to get a win. I get it. Probably Greg Williams. I mean, is it a fail? Absolutely. Is it one of those things where you're like, you know what, we're not going anywhere, let's just try something different. And that's probably what he was thinking, and I agree. Fail, terrible, I would never do it. Why wouldn't you just guard the goal line, whatever it is. But firing him, I think, is the bigger fail. Ironically, failed down last week has exactly the real problem here. And that is the fact that Adam Gase can't develop a quarterback, and he has failed in developing Sam Darnold. Greg Williams is not the problem. Adam Gase is, and Adam Gase should be the one that was fired. Second fail. This is 
a fail that dates back about a year. You remember on fail downs last year, because I know you go back and listen to them all and log them in your mind, uh, Coach K made an appearance. My guy. He blamed the loss to Stephen F. Austin early in the college basketball season on him being sick. And that was two days or three days after they lost to Stephen F. Austin. They had beaten Winthrop, and he was still revisiting and making excuses for the loss to Stephen F. Austin, which the Lumberjacks were phenomenal last year, like 19-1. and one of the, Which is South a slap in the face to Stephen F. Austin, Absolutely. who should have gotten all the credit in the No world. doubt. Okay. And they, they won it at the buzzer, swipe and score, as time expired. Uh, it was fantastic. Uh, Coach K's at it again, and you couldn't have missed this one. It started out as kind of just like a little dainty piece, much like the sick during the Stephen F. Austin loss was, but it has blown up now, partially because of our Nate. guy Nate Oates, Alabama coach. You'll see him in probably 12 days, 11 days, 12 days. I've got days. a great, when you finish your thought, I've got a great two-ties ETSU on this There story. is there, There's no real thought. It's just you saw Coach K say after the loss to Illinois, I think Duke is now 2-2, two and two, right, and they have now suspended the rest of their non-conference season. They're not going to play the rest of their non-conference games. Two and two, and Coach K says, boy, I think we've got to reassess the season. Why are we playing at all? This is dangerous. Maybe dangerous to Mike Krzyzewski's legacy. And so, Nate Oates says, <laughs> and this is exactly, I had written this down for a fail down before Nate Oates said it, and Nate Oates took the words right out of my mouth. You think that he'd be singing the same tune if they were 4-0? And, and don't get me wrong. You know that I am a big, pandemic is dangerous, we need to take care of each other, do your part, all that. I absolutely think. I am 100% on board with the public health aspect. If it were a genuine comment from Mike Krzyzewski, but if they're 4-0, Nate Oates is on to something. I'm not sure Mike Krzyzewski would have a problem with playing basketball. So there's a lot of talk that CBS came in and offered a lot of money to Kentucky, Michigan State, Kansas, and Duke to go do a special bubble, and they would get – three games with each other, and three schools said yes. Do you want to guess which school said no? I'm guessing one is led by Mike Sheffs. It is. So he already kind of knew where the season was going. Now, I went to high school. I grew up and moved around a lot in different states, but I finished up high school in the state of North Carolina, and all my North Carolina buddies. So if you're from the state of North Carolina, nobody pulls for Duke. I don't think people understand that. Like the Tobacco Road, all this thing, and it's great for TV and Duke Carolina, and the Duke national brand is spectacular. But in the state of North Carolina, 75 80% are North Carolina fans, 10% are NC State fans because they went there. And then you have a smattering of other schools, such as, you know, maybe Wake Forest or Appalachian State or what. But the state itself is Tar Heel Nation. My buddies have called this for a long time that, that I went to high school with. They called it at, right after Stephen F. Austin. How will Coach K get this not as a loss on his record? As soon as he lost the Michigan State game at home, it was how can Coach K get this loss taken off his record? What's he going to do to make an excuse for his loss? So my buddies from Carolina are all over this, and they've been all over that. So my tie-in to ETSU, though, Nate Oates was a high school coach, Romulus High School in Michigan. Picked him up from the airport because we had a high school player. Dante Williams was his high school player, and he came to Freedom Hall to watch his kid play before he ended up being an assistant, going on to Buffalo, yeah. doing all this other stuff. So we have an ETSU tie-in there, Hamram. Also, if you do a deep dive into Coach K's press conference where this came up, which I did, and listen to a lot of it to make sure like I had all the context, Sure. how about he drops a Steve Forbes in the middle of that? He drops, I'm sitting there, I'm texting with Wake Forest head coach Steve Forbes. You know, his son's got it, his team shut down, it's really unfair to them. 
blah blah blah. So then people are, are hammering Forbes, I think, because it's like, well, Forbes, you're, I mean, you're you're on the Chesky bandwagon here. Shut down, go all this. And so um, there's a couple of ETSU ties in the story, but yes, I 100% agree with you. If they're four zero, they're four zero. There's no way he would do this. Now, the people on the other side will say, well, Coach K has been saying this for months and months and months, and he has. And his quotes, I agree with. In our country today, you have 2,000 deaths a day, 200,000 cases, a million and a half last week. You have people saying the next six weeks are going to be the worst. To me, it's already been bad. Yes, and that was a recent quote. But he's been calling for people to reassess these decisions to play for months and months and months. After the all-inclusive postseason thing, you remember that, back in like August or whenever it was. Um, I agree with his sentiment. But the fact that he's doubling down and then the rest of the non-conference games are canceled after the second loss, it is timing for me. If he had continuously said this, going through the non-conference and like this was, he was on this hill. And, and I will say this, he was on the hill of let's go conference only because he was convinced that all the other schools outside the ACC would not be testing properly. And, and I only want to counter that with, Wake Forest and Steve Forbes have been pretty much bubbled in their own area. Not a lot, no students on campus, right? State of North Carolina pretty much is, you know, no students on campus. They live in their own bubble. They've tested every day, and they've got like 14 guys associated with the program. Get it. So even if you just did the ACC bubble, you weren't going to solve anything. And so I think probably this was the straw for him because he was convinced ACC shouldn't play ACC because of testing, and we should play 26 games versus each other because of the testing protocols. And he's in his 70s. I mean, again, there is some some truth to some of what he's doing. But you could have canceled your non-conference games before all this started, November 25th. Before, if you are so worried about all of this, then don't start the season. Just do conference only. You're Duke, right? Duke holds a lot of clout, a lot of name recognition. They are one of the story programs in college basketball. You could have done this okay. before it started, but you're 2-2 two and two now. And Just like Ohio State should be in the playoffs, and people are going to do things to get them in the playoffs, because I think they should be in the playoffs. Duke would be in the basketball tournament, yeah. right? I don't care if they played no games. If they, because of COVID, got two games, you don't think NCAA would write, and ACC would write some exemption to get Duke in. Yes, they would. But so, how many yes, conference games does the ACC play? It's more than 13, and 13 is the minimum to get in the NCAA tournament this year. So you still could have gone, gone conference only. You probably would have been just fine. Know. They could have played four games. But if, he doesn't, say if he doesn't play the rest of the year, and there's a tournament. Duke's in the tournament. Write it down. What is... Book it! Put it on the board. What is your on the favorite, board. it's convenient for me right now to do this controversial thing? Oh, I, well, Is it Coach K? Is it the LSU Bowl ban? Or is uh, it Auburn basketball a couple years me, ago? Let me applaud <laughs> LSU. <laughs> let me applaud LSU. This is such garbage. Everyone's going to hate LSU for that. I, I'm, I'm, with, I'm fine. Uh, I'm with it. I'm with it. I mean, they're three and five. Technically, there is no regulations for bowls as opposed to all. There's Auburn. not going to be any bowls aside there's from the college football I mean, there's going to be bowls. They're going to, oh. you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm oh. with you. I am with Ed Edo on this. Third fail. I'm, I'm not with Willie fail. Wade with it, guys. So sick of that fail. UNCG women's basketball. We always got to have a Southern oh Conference tie here. It is ugly. First, let me say, if you listen to Buck Minutes around the area, NWX Sam Six Forty, the Extreme Sports Monster. You know this. UNCG, Chattanooga, and Sanford shared the regular season conference title in the SoCon last year. 10-4 and four in the league. This year, they are 0-10. They have no wins, nearly three wins, three wins, three weeks into the college basketball season. 0-10 combined, and UNCG has Oof. been flat out the worst of them. 
the co-regular season champion last year with those other two schools have lost back-to-back games to non-Division One teams, the first being Division Two Belmont Abbey. Now, to be fair, I looked at that loss and I said, Belmont Abbey, very good Division Two program. 27 and have wins. have been for years. 27 wins last year, made the NCAAs. They're at the Division Two level a powerhouse. They followed that up. A three-point loss, too. It's a close game, right? So UNCG, uh, you know, it's not a good loss by any means, not a game you would expect to lose, want to lose, a game that you'll scratch your head at because you're Division One and you're a co-regular season champion from one of the 32 conferences in the country at Division One from last year. Then you followed up with a loss to Division Three, North Carolina Wesleyan, by 15 points at home. It's not close. It's not against a powerhouse at their division. 19 wins last year, not bad. Schedule's a little bit smaller for Division Three as well, so it's not like they're a 500 team. It's not like they're bottom of the barrel in their conference. They're Division Three. Back-to-back non-Division One losses. The second one with no excuses of it was close, it's a powerhouse, and it's only one loss. Back-to-back, the second one by 15 to a above-average Division Three team, North Carolina Wesley. Unmitigated disaster. It's bad. It's bad. Bad. I mean, one, I mean, but. And, and D three non Scott D two there there are some odd rules in D two where you can get twenty eight year old like semi pros still eligible to come back and play. Now I'm not saying Belmont Abbey women's basketball's done that, but there are some odd rules that you can get, and the lax of academic standards and some things you can find stuff, and we see it in the NBA and other sports where D two athletes can make it in the pros, and a freak athletes just can't do some things. So yes, I. That's a terrible fail and a bad couple days for UNCG because the men lost to Coppin State. Oof. And, and that's not, that Coppin State is not a good loss in, in any sport. North Carolina West. I played yeah. Division three sports. That's a bad loss. When that's you bad. have me at the same level. That's fourth bad. fail. And the fourth fail. Boy, that's a perfect transition. It's me. And it's Ezekiel Elliott. But more so, I think it has to be me because we talked about my fantasy football fate. On bold predictions. And by we, we mean week. you. Yes. Well, okay. I, I went very, very over the top on breaking down my fantasy football matchups, no question. I needed, in one of my leagues, a touchdown from Ezekiel Elliott. And it was the middle of the fourth quarter, and Zeke catches a screen pass out left, spins once, spins twice, down to the four-yard far. That might have been the one-yard line. It was like the one, two, three, four-yard line, something like that. He gets, at some point, they get down to the one-yard line. I think it was the four-yard line, then it was a pass interference call. They get down to the one. Ezekiel Elliott gets three consecutive carries from the one-yard line and cannot get in, and I am left out in the cold. It's bad coaching. It has been. You have not recovered. Let me just say, around the office, he he has been sulking. It's been sad clown, and and it took me a while to figure out. And now, once I asked him about it. That and then I discovered that that is what brought you down. And are you shocked that I have looked for everyone else to blame? I blame the manager that played Ezekiel Elliott. I blamed the manager that played Frank Gore yeah, over oh, Duke no, no, Johnson. No. You need to back so Ezekiel Elliott wasn't even on win. your team. No, he wasn't. That's the you, horrible part. I won this week, and this guy has Ezekiel Elliott. And you I needed, needed him to knock him. somebody else need, out of the playoffs. Exactly. <laughs> so this is even worse. This is why it's a failed team. Worse. It's not even your team. Uh, it's not even. It's not even Who's saying, to blame here? Is it me? Is it the other guy for playing Frank Gore over Duke Johnson? Or is it Ezekiel Elliott? Or is it – I mean, they gave him all the chance in the world to get always in the blame you. zone. I always blame you because just – Is the Cowboys are just horrible? Win, win, win a game somewhere else during the year. Don't, don't blame 38 the points against yeah, you no. the week before. Oh, that's correct. You lost to me, and I'm one of the worst fantasy players of all time. Yeah, that is true. All uh, right, what are we going uh, with? Bold, are we ready? Uh, yeah, I think so. 
Tom Brady won't make that mistake again. Antonio Brown to Tampa. Absolutely not going to happen. Clay Thompson, comeback player of the year. Calling it right now. The season Jim Harbaugh is taking Michigan to the national championship. Well, there's just no doubt the Southern Conference will be playing football in 2020. Wake Forest, L-O-L. Steve Forbes most certainly will be back in the blue and gold. Jay Sandoz will fulfill his New Year's resolution 30 pounds down during quarantine. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. A simple wrong would have done just fine. And we are wrong often. One bold prediction, correct a piece, because you hit on yours. Washington. The football team. The Pittsburgh Steelers get their first loss, and Washington on fire behind my guy Alex Smith. Three wins in a row. 23-17 was the final, and you have your first bold predictions victory of the year. Go ahead. I'm going to go women's basketball. I'm going to Lee Stafford. I'm going 20 or more. Ooh, I like it. 20 or more. She finds it. Both. Are you willing to go more than she scored this year? It was 20. That's how many points she has. 21 or more. That would be more than she scored all of this year. I'm going to go 20 or more. Combined. I like, 20 or more. Okay. I like an even number. I'm an even number guy. Well, I was I was trying to pull you into that because I'm going to go almost the exact same take with Demario Monsanto. More points on Saturday than he has scored the entire season. Combined 15 points in three games. That's five points a game. He's going to go 16 or more, blowing up on Saturday as the Bucks take on UAB. Similar, Damari shoots threes. That's where I'm going with men's basketball. Yeah. 50% or better against UAB from beyond the arc for a team that's like 22% or whatever. They're going to go 50% or better in this game against UAB. My theme is 16 on bold predictions. Why? I'm not quite sure. It kind of worked out that way. I was trying to figure out why I was doing 16. I'm not, I don't know what the significance is. I was trying to think maybe our 16th show of the year, 16th day of the month. And none of that is 16th true, right? time that I'll make three bold predictions incorrectly in the same week. I don't know. Hope, hopefully they're all correct, and this would be especially good for each of Women's basketball, 16 turnovers or less. They're averaging 26 per game. 16 turnovers or less against Presbyterian. Of course, you and me both think they're going to run away with this one, and they will do so if they turn the ball over 16 times or less. That's adding on to my 16 points or more for Demario Monsanto. You're not going to be shocked by my third one. I'm going Army Navy. Ah, I'm not going to be shocked by my one last of your one. favorite. Are they having fans? Uh, Can the cadets? They go? are. They are because all the cadets are testing, but they're actually playing it on campus for the first time. Oh wow! And they are allowing both um, the corps um, and the shipmen to both be there. So Navy's going to bus up and bring. So they will be filled as wow. much as any stadium would be because. Both those schools, starting June 1, brought everybody to their respective campuses and have locked them down and done testing and all that. And they, there's no weekend privileges. There's no family coming to see. There's no nothing. They've only been with each So they're going to allow – it will be about a packed house as any game has been this season, if not the most packed house. Um, if they let all the people in there suggesting in, it, it would literally be over 20,000. And so, mm. again, uh, it will be interesting to see. I'm going to do something here because it's been, and you know I love this. It has been how many days? Twelve thousand <laughs> sixty-one days. I knew exactly where this was going. Twelve thousand sixty-one days, December fifth, and I wrote it down wrong. I put eighteen ninety-seven. That is incorrect. It's nineteen eighty-seven. Got a little dyslexic here. Nineteen eighty-seven <laughs> was the last time that Army has beaten Navy by fourteen or more. Just to put that in perspective. 
the three three of the last four games, Army had the three-game win streak broken last year when I went, unfortunately, and got hammered 31-7, in which I still like to throw out the most amazing stat of all time. Navy's quarterback dropped back to pass seven times, threw none, and had 107-yard rushing off drop-back passes. Um, they won 12. They won those three games by 12 points combined. They've only had two double-digit wins in that run of 10 and 11 points, respectively. They've not had a two-touchdown win since 1987. They did have back-to-back 86 and 87. But it has been since 1987 since Army's beaten anybody. And the spread, last time I checked, was 6.5. It would at least be double the spread. There's a thing, Or if it's up to 7 now, it's still double the spread. There's some things there. Army has not been able to do it, has not been able to put up massive win totals. And you look at some of the Navy wins during their streak, I mean, you're talking 30, 40-point wins during that. Even last year was 31-7. It's about time Army gets one on their side. Suck it, Don Hellman. If you're predicting that something's going to happen that hasn't happened in 120 years, then that is definitely bold. Jalen Hurts, first start of his NFL career against the New Orleans Saints. Shock it up. One in the W column. He's going to be 1-0. He will throw his first pass of the game, his 16th of his NFL career. 16th all across the board. 16-plus for DeMar Monsanto, 16 or less turnovers for ETSU, and 16th pass thrown by Jalen Hurts, his first of the day against New Orleans. The Eagles are heavy underdogs at home, but Jalen Hurts, the man, the myth, the legend, the one that college basketball or college football fans loved to love or loved to hate, depending on where you were. It was really hard to hate the guy, but he had the best attitude. He went through an up-and-down career at Alabama, then Oklahoma. Now he's going to be an NFL star, and it all starts on Sunday. W over New Orleans Monday, we're going to recap ETSU women's basketball win over Presbyterian. ETSU versus UAB, the W there at home. Center sidekick more. I'm not going to Sports Network. Cowboy up, go play ball.